Welcome to McKnight's Long-Term Care Newsmakers Podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. Hi, and welcome back to another edition of the McKnight's Newsmaker Podcast. We have a very timely one today, and I think we're all going to learn a lot about what's going to happen in the next couple months, because, of course, we're talking about the expiration of the public health emergency, which is coming May 11th. And I'm here with Jody Yegor. She's the director of Nursing Home Quality and Policy for Leading Age. Jody, I think what I'd like to jump into right away is, first of all, discuss what some of these waivers, some of these allowances providers have had during the public health emergency that maybe have been forgotten or already faded. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Sure. So there were a lot of waivers that um, HHS put into place at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, the beginning of the public health emergency under Section 1135 and 1812F of the Social Security Act. Um, Many of these waivers, such as a waiver of MDS submissions, for example, have already been terminated, but there were a few that have continued for the life of the PHE. Um, And so the ones that are remaining right now are the three-day qualifying hospital stay waiver, the benefit period waiver, which is the one that is commonly understood as the 100 days waiver, waivers around the pre-admission screening and resident review, the PASAR, a waiver around alcohol-based hand rubs, and uh, a couple of waivers that related to the relocation and transfer of residents for the purposes of cohorting related to COVID-19 infection. Okay, really good. Now, what do you consider maybe the most immediate concern that providers should be thinking about as, uh, what are we, coming up on April, May, a couple months away? Sure. So the one that we are probably hearing the most from our members at this point and from providers is actually a waiver that has already expired. Um, That is the certified nurse aid training waiver. This was terminated back in June of 2022. But at that point, when the waiver was terminated, CNAs had or temporary nurse aides had a period of four months to gain certification according to the normal regulatory requirements. Uh, There were a lot of training and testing backlogs in states across the nation. And so CMS at that point allowed for individual waivers, and these could be at the state level, at the county level, the nursing home level, or an individual could apply for a waiver. Um, And some of those waivers are still in place, but all of them, regardless of how long that waiver was granted, will end with the public health emergency in May. And so CMS has stated that when those waivers end on May 11th, again, temporary nurse aides will have four months from May 11th in order to complete the training and testing that's required for certification. But there is still concern about whether or not that will be long enough. We know that training and testing is still an issue in some locations. And so it remains to be seen how CMS is going to handle that. CMS has acknowledged that they're working with states uh, to to address that, but it's a major concern for our providers. I was going to say, and, sure. And, and, you know, there's there's some indication, too, that they're willing to just let states kind of slug it out because that's what they've done. They took theirs away <laughs> and some states have put in. Is, is that working, do you think? 
Uh, <laughs> you know, I think I think that this is one of those scenarios where it might be better to have a system coming from the top to really direct traffic in this because it's a major concern. And and I think that as we see with so many things, when there's a lot of uncertainty and you don't have clear direction coming from one authoritative source, it creates anxiety. Okay, now there's also legislation that was recently reintroduced. Mm-hmm. I see, you know, and and I was wondering how confident you are with that. If if you're in a position to answer. Sure. Well, um, Leading Age is very excited about the TNA bill that was reintroduced in the House. We worked very hard in the last Congress to get it introduced. We worked very hard to have it reintroduced. Um, it would it would certainly help. Um, the TNA bill would extend essentially the flexibilities of that waiver uh, for a period of two years. So it would allow those who are working as temporary nurse aides to continue doing so, as well as allowing them to count the time worked toward the federal requirement of 75 hours for certified nurse aid training. Of course, each state has the authority to determine the number of hours. And so some states require more than 75 hours, but it would really be a benefit. And so we are very hopeful that we can get that moving along. The other thing that's in that bill that I think is really helpful for those who may be concerned about the temporary nurse aid waiver is that the bill does require HHS to conduct a study about the impact of the waiver and to report to Congress on that. Okay. And among the halls of leading age and anywhere else in the beltway, what do the tea leaves say? The chairman is the one who, the new chairman is the one who reintroduced it. Does that bring more confidence? Um, that's not actually something that I, that I could speculate on. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, I know that everybody kind of gets on pins and needles and I just don't want the listeners to get too optimistic about something because as we know in this sure. today's, poli- I'll say it, in today's political climate, you never know what's going to go on and there's a lot of bipartisanship uh, missing on some things, shall we say. So let's get back to the other concerns that you mentioned, this uh, three-day waiver. Any thoughts on the future of that? Any hopes that... Uh, as many have said, it's proven useless or been shown to prove useless. I'm assuming right. you agree with that. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And um, Leading Age is actually doing a lot of advocacy around this currently. We sent a letter to HHS Secretary Xavier Becerra earlier this week um, asking HHS to implement uh, a waiver that would make those flexibilities permanent. But, of course, understanding that all HHS or CMS can do is to implement a waiver because this is a statutory requirement. We're also working on some advocacy to Congress that should be released very soon um, to completely eliminate the three-day stay requirement. Uh, As you mentioned, this is something that we have seen throughout the pandemic, thanks to the waiver that was implemented, that it's just not a reasonable requirement any longer. It it doesn't make sense. Um, Prior to the pandemic, Leading H had done a lot of work on observation stays and counting the time spent in hospital toward that three-day qualifying stay, whether you were inpatient or whether you held an outpatient observation. Um, At that point, we didn't really have the frame of reference that we do because of the pandemic. But now that we've gone through three years with this waiver, um, we have seen that it does not, a three-day qualifying stay doesn't actually benefit 
the the beneficiary, the resident. It doesn't benefit the provider. We know that hospitals are receiving a lot of pressure, number one, to reduce healthcare spending. And so why would we be requiring hospitals to keep folks longer than is necessary in order to qualify for this other benefit that can really um, help improve their quality of life? Um, and at the same time, we know that there's been a fear, of course, that eliminating the three-day stay would create this free-for-all and, and folks would just be flooding the nursing homes for skilled care. But the truth is that throughout the pandemic, the Medicare administrative contractor, the MAX, have been conducting audits on the three-day stay to ensure that um, those who are utilizing this benefit actually do qualify for skilled care, that the, that the waiver was not used inappropriately. And the truth is, if those audits had revealed that the waiver had been used inappropriately, the waiver would have been terminated, and it has not been. And so I think that we can confidently say that this demonstration over the past three years has has validated the need to eliminate that requirement. Certainly does seem like a good case has been made. And as I was speaking recently uh, for some coverage I was doing with uh, the, the CEO of Saber Reit, Rick Matris says, you guys, providers, now have a new ally perhaps in some corners is the hospitals themselves. Because as you indicated, they want to move people downstream. And sometimes Absolutely. they can't do that. You're finding maybe the hospitals are going to be uh, allies in this a little bit. Yeah, and um, I, I'm hopeful. Um, I'm hopeful because I think that we, I think that both, both industries do have uh, have a have a stake in this because. Um, even though the public health emergency is technically ending, we know that COVID is not ending, flu is not ending, RSV is not ending, and the workforce crisis is not ending. And the workforce crisis is not something that's unique to nursing homes. Um, it is pervasive both within the healthcare field as well as outside of the healthcare field. So hospitals are feeling it too. And that results in things like bed shortages along with the impact of RSV and flu and COVID. Um, it also results in the canceling of elective surgeries and things that are sometimes main referrals for SNF care. And so I think that it will benefit both hospitals and long-term care to eliminate and, and skilled nursing care to eliminate this requirement. Really is interesting how the system has to work together, doesn't it? When you're saying <laughs> what the surgery is going through, although uh, perhaps others won't say it and you don't have to say it here, but I always have counsel, keep your eye on those tricky hospital people. We don't want to <laughs> <laughs> lose lose sight too much on that. So let's return to what our providers should be looking at right now. What can they do? What should they be doing in preparation for these next couple months uh, coming up? Sure. So we know that CMS is working to put out additional information as we transition from the end of the public health emergency. They have talked a little bit about it, but um, what we know, and, and I think where providers can start at this point, is to take a look at those waivers that are still in place and the policies that you have in your nursing home related to those waivers and make sure that you are at the nursing home level prepared to transition from the use of those waivers back to normal operations. Um, I think it'll also be beneficial for them to keep an eye out for any updates that would come from CMS, as well as any updates that come from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The reason I say that is because there are a few requirements from CMS, such as COVID-19 testing, that we know will end 
with the end of the public health emergency. However, <laughs> those requirements are impacted by the recommendations that come out from the CDC. And and it, it would really shock me if we suddenly said on May 12th, okay, no need to test for COVID anymore. And so I think that providers really need to keep an eye out for the different systems that are working together here to know how, um, how best to transition and to keep residents safe and keep staff safe and healthy and everyone living their best lives. And of course, uh, we at McKnight's will be relaying any information that you and others pass along along from the agencies, too. Now, I wanted to touch base with this uh, issue of the Medicaid redetermination. I know that I've talked with some providers that are kind of concerned that this will go smoothly. How do you view that uh, and what are you counseling uh, providers and members? Because that's a big issue, obviously, right? Sure. Yeah. And and it is a concern that we are hearing as well. Um, We know that CMS had put out information, I believe, back in August that was advising states to begin um, separating their Medicaid redeterminations from the public health emergency. They called it the Medicaid unwinding. And so states have been working on this. Um, They have a little bit of a heads up, but there is still a concern about just the sheer volume of redeterminations that need to be made, as well as things that might have changed during the public health emergency, um, cost of living adjustments and, and things like that. But then also there's the very real issue of spend down. And so um, I think it would be good for providers to do a couple of things. Number one, go directly to the source, reach out to your state Medicaid office to find out what they're doing for the unwinding, um, any changes that they have to the redetermination process, timelines. You don't want to be caught on your back foot to suddenly have, you know, 30% of your population be uh, disenrolled in Medicaid, right? And so checking with them to find out exactly what's going on from their point of view, because it is at a state level. Um, the other thing, though, will be to take a look at uh, at your actual resident population. So making sure that nobody is over the income limit, nobody is over the asset limit, making sure that you have all the documentation that you need in order to submit to the Medicaid office for that Medicaid redetermination, because we know that sometimes it can take a while to get the documents either from the residents or from their family members, or maybe having to actually go back to the state and track down the documentation that you need. So um, I think the sooner we can start on that, the better off it'll be for everyone. Those are all great points, because, of course, in in this era, you don't want to be chasing census out the door or letting them slip away. Right. (laughs) And you don't want to be chasing down paperwork when you have so many other operational and care things to be to be taken care of at this point. Excellent points. And and from what I'm hearing from you is there's a lot of dotting the I's, crossing the T's and, and checking through things, because some of the consultants and experts I've talked to is said, you know, as you indicated, May 12th, it's not going to be like, oh, no, the walls are going to fall down and and there's going to be a huge, huge difference. But to the person, to the provider who has their wits about them, I'm hearing, and gets prepared for it, they're going to be in better shape. Is that true? I think preparation will be really important. I think that collaboration is also going to be very important because I think back to, for example, the PASAR waiver, right? You can do everything in your building to make sure that you have the passars that you need. But ultimately, it's not up to the nursing home, right? They need to be talking with the hospitals to make sure that the hospitals are aware that this waiver is ending and they need to be completing those level one and level two determinations. They need to be talking with their state to find out um, 
what their plan is for completing those level two determinations in a more timely process and the timelines for that. So I think it's, I think as much as preparing on your own is important, collaborating with those outside systems is also going to be equally important. Outstanding point, because one thing we haven't brought up is that this isn't like some other things out of Washington that is going to be kicked the can kicked down the road or put off. I, I mean, May 11th <laughs> is really going to be it for the whole country, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And and really, you know, I think we have had practice <laughs> and we've seen the importance of the collaboration because that is why everything fell apart at the beginning, right? <laughs> because there wasn't a lot of collaboration in nursing homes and long-term care and other aging services providers. We were not included in the ways that we could have been when it came to those larger systems, the state systems, the, the federal system, tribal, county systems. Um, we had not been included in the planning. We were not um, included in the response necessarily in the way that we needed. And, um, and then we were kind of left holding the bag on that. And so I think that this is a great opportunity for us to learn from that experience and to to move forward in a in a positive way well you really preempted my next question on that because <laughs> i i wanted to say that of course pandemic's been a terrible experience for so many people in so many ways has anything good come out of this that you can put your finger on and again i apologize because i think you mentioned a few things but let's reiterate that should we should providers be reminded that hey you've learned to do this or we've come this far what would, yeah. what would those points be maybe Absolutely. I mean, I think that I think that there has been so much that we have learned from this experience. And um, it's unfortunate that we it's unfortunate the way that we have learned it. Of course, it's unfortunate the um, kind of environment under which we have had to endure with our lessons. Right. Because we also haven't had any cheerleaders out there going, hey, this is awesome. We learned something. And now look what nursing homes are doing with the lessons learned. Right. And so um, it it has been a really difficult period, of course, for the past three years. Um, but this might be our time to shine. Right. This might be the opportunity to show how good we are at adapting and how good we are at implementing the things that we've learned. I also think that, um, you know, speaking with with members and providers, I think that we have um, we've all gained a very unique perspective. You know, there's something there's something really beautiful that can only come from absolute and total destruction, <laughs> which is what we have seen over the past few years. Um, and, and so having that, we can appreciate the the care that we do we can appreciate the way that we work together and we can appreciate and get excited about this opportunity to move on with our lives and we're not leaving covid behind absolutely not we're not leaving infection control behind and we're certainly not leaving the workforce crisis behind but this is a great time to transform the entire field and to to be able to move forward with the lessons that we have learned and to show that um, um, that we are an adaptive field and that we are we are here, right? We're here for the long run. Wow, Jody, I can't say anything more, but outstandingly said, Jody, thank you for framing that. We've been speaking with Jody e. Igor, Director of Nursing Home Quality and Policy for Leading Age. Thank you again, Jody, and thank you again, listeners, for tuning in. We appreciate you coming to each installment of the McKnight's Newsmaker Podcast. 
This is Jim Berklin wishing you good health and outstanding days ahead. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Long-Term Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in long-term care news, visit McKnight's.com.